there were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea, named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered its freedom to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that impostor said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, He is risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers, go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing a stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guards went into the city, and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers, and said, Tell people his disciples came by night, and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money, and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. It's, it's always, I, I hope that you find, like me, that you come back to these well-known stories about Jesus and you're taken aback by thinking this really happened. These amazing things actually happened one day back in history to real people. It's good to remember that, isn't it, as we come to God's word. These are not fairy stories. This is real history. Well, greetings from uh, Grace Church, Sydenham. Um, we are uh, greetings from your brothers and sisters in Christ, but also we're part of the same uh, Anglican mission in England family. Um, uh, so it's good that we can um, kind of share speakers like this and help each other out. And uh, Rob owes me a favour now that he doesn't realise that, but he'll have to come preach for me one day. But it's, it's great to be able to... Um, 
share uh, help and support with each other, but also share our lives with each other. Um, and I'm looking forward to sharing this really incredible passage from God's word with you this morning. But before we do that, let's pray and ask for God's help. Almighty God, help us to hear, to understand, and to accept your word to us this morning, we pray. Amen. 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 Now, I'm going to use these backgrounds as my PowerPoint. So, I mean, I'm just hoping I won't get in the way of them for you. Matthew's Gospel, the empty tomb and how we respond to I reckon we're pretty good in this country at remembering people's deaths. That's the impression I get. Uh, you watch any football match... And if somebody even remotely connected with the game has died, there's a minute silence, isn't there? I mean, with Maradona, it was obvious that it was going to happen, but it seems to happen so much. On the news, well, the news often culminates with a story, a mention of someone's passing. And I don't know if you noticed, um, the Google logo will also change according to uh, what uh, death date it's commemorating, what famous person died on this day. So when it comes to death, we're good at remembering. I don't think we're as good as uh, when it comes to talking about death. But in fact, we talk about people passing away, don't we? But uh, when it comes to death, we're pretty good at remembering. And we have ways of remembering a dead Jesus as well, don't we? Crosses around our necks, uh, crosses hanging from our ears, crosses on top of our churches. But Matthew and the other gospel writers don't let us simply remember a dead Jesus. The punchline of the Gospels is not the cross, it's the empty tomb. As we see in this passage, they commemorate not death, but the, in fact, the exact opposite of death, the reversal of death, a resumed existence, a resurrection to an indestructible eternal life. Christians remember and celebrate and follow a living Jesus, not a dead one. Now, Matthew was a follower of Jesus, and 2,000 years ago, he took care to write down exactly how people reacted to what happened on that first Easter Sunday. And I think what's rather surprising is that as we read this passage, the reactions he recorded back then are almost exactly how people react to the idea of a risen Jesus today. And hopefully we'll see that as we go through. So here's my first point. The first reaction that Matthew describes here is the minds already made up reaction. The minds already made up reaction. i to turn this screen. Oh, no, there we go. That's uh, the high priests and, and Pharisees were violently opposed to Jesus right from the start. I mean, hopefully you've picked that up as you've gone through Matthew's gospel. It's hard to miss, isn't it? And that Good Friday, as they watched him die on the cross, we can almost see them rubbing their hands with glee because all their plans had come together. This is, is exactly what they wanted, a dead Jesus. But they couldn't quite rest on their laurels just yet. Verse 62 First, they had to make a quick visit to the Roman governor. See, they're keen to make sure that Jesus' followers do not steal his body. 
But we must ask, why on earth would they expect such a bizarre act from the disciples? Body stealing, body snatching. And the answer to this reveals one of the most surprising aspects of this account. And if you look there at verses 63 and 64 on the screen, see if you can see what's surprising about this. Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Now, do you see what's surprising in that report? Of all people, it's Jesus' enemies who remember his predictions about rising from the dead. Remember, Jesus had predicted the same thing four times. Um, I'm sure you'll remember them from quite recent Sundays. Um, Let me just read them to you. You can see the list there at the bottom of the screen, but I'll read them to you. Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Next chapter, Matthew 17, 22 and 23. As they gathered in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. A few chapters later, Matthew 20, 17 to 19. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. On the way, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. And then finally, at the Last Supper in Matthew uh, 26, then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So you see, on four separate occasions, Jesus had made it very clear to his followers that he expected to be killed, but then he also expected to rise to life again. And yet when we come to the actual death of Jesus, what do we see? His disciples have forgotten all that. And the only ones who do seem to remember what he said are his enemies, the priests and the Pharisees. And where Jesus had intended his predictions for an encouragement for his disciples, for those who loved him, don't worry, I'm going to die, but I will be back. Instead, here they are taken cynically in order to head off any possible foul play from the disciples. It's not that they... Pharisees and priests believed he was going to rise, but they knew he'd said it. And so they thought, well, maybe his disciples will steal the body. Why is this important? Well, it shows you, doesn't it, that the the Pharisees and the priests, they are men, the type of men that we might be really familiar with, with minds already made up. Minds already made up. They're not open to the possibility of Jesus' resurrection at all. Now, it's not so surprising that they don't believe Jesus' predictions. But what about after the event itself? 
chapter 28, 11 to 15. On that Easter morning, we come back again to the guards. Okay, so we, we saw them in the previous chapter. Uh, here come the guards. They come in panic to tell them of the earthquake, of the angel, the rolled away stone and the empty tomb. You remember that they had been given the job of securing the tomb and making sure that um, nothing happened, that the body wasn't stole away, stolen away. Yet despite the eyewitness testimony, rather than believe Jesus had risen as he said he would, they do their best to make sure no one else will believe it, despite all that they've seen. The stone rolled away, the empty tomb. They just do their best to make sure that no one will believe. And so that the Pharisees, they, they spread a rumor that the disciples had stolen the body the very thing they'd set out to prevent. Talk about bending over backwards to avoid the truth. But hold on, we might say, how do we know that the disciples didn't steal the body? Why should we believe what Matthew has written here? Well, I think we need to consider this, the disciples. What's the history of the disciples after this? They go from here to travel the known world, proclaiming the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And many of them died for that belief. Now think about that. Is that really something they would have done knowing that they had just made the whole thing up? It's highly unlikely, isn't it? So the priests and the Pharisees, despite all the evidence, they were men with minds already made up. Minds closed in advance before the evidence is even presented, closed to even considering that Jesus might have risen from the dead. Let me ask you, do you know people like that today? People who say, no, I don't believe in the resurrection. No, I don't believe in Jesus as the son of God. Don't even talk to me about it. And when you press them further, why not? Have you considered the evidence? And often you'll find it's not an issue of evidence at all. It's simply that they don't want to believe. Their minds are already made up. It's quite depressing, isn't it, when you come across people like that? I suppose it could even be you here this afternoon, somebody listening. Uh, you've already got your mind made up. And I think I'd ask you to think again. Look at the evidence. Now, with regards to evidence, I must just point this out to you. All four gospel writers are in agreement that the principal witnesses of Jesus' resurrection were women. You might say, so what? Well, this is actually an incredible thing, because in those days, uh, terrible as it may sound, a woman's evidence was inadmissible in court. Things have changed a lot since then, haven't they? Thankfully. You see, that means that if the gospel writers were simply making all these things up, the worst possible witnesses that they could invent for their story would be women. It would undermine what they were trying to fool people into believing. So why did they make such a rookie error? Well, I think there's only one logical answer. Because they weren't making things up. They were writing simply what they knew. And what their first readers knew was simply what had happened. The evidence for Jesus' resurrection, even 2,000 years later, is there to be investigated. So please 
please don't approach it like the Pharisees and the high priests with your mind already made up. The second reaction to examine here comes from Joseph of Arimathea, who appears at the end of chapter 27. Joseph's reaction is what I call religious commemoration. Matthew notes Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, and there's so much to admire about him. His bravery in asking Pilate for Jesus' body and his loving respect in wrapping it so lovingly in linen and expensive linen, and not to mention the cost of his own family tomb that he gave up to put Jesus in. And we may ask, what more could a devoted disciple do? But remember back to chapter 27 and verse 60. It's there on the screen. Matthew's last word on Joseph is that he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and then went away. Joseph sealed Jesus in and then left him there. In fact, ironically, he does exactly what Jesus' enemies, the priests and the Pharisees, would like to do themselves. Seal the body up tight in the tomb so nobody can steal it away. Because you see, despite Joseph's devotion, it seems he has no confidence in Jesus' words. He has no expectation that Jesus will do what he promised and rise again. And so he commemorates Jesus in the same way a follower of Marx or Che Guevara or Princess Diana might do. Because Joseph has no hope of resurrection. Not yet, anyway. He is a religious commemorator. He commemorates Jesus as a wonderful but a very dead leader. And isn't this how many people treat Jesus today? For many today, the typical artifact of the Christian faith is Jesus hanging on a cross around their necks or maybe on the wall. Jesus, the great example of self-sacrifice, a great person to be admired, but a dead person, just someone else to commemorate with a fancy Google logo. The faith zone of the Millennium Dome exhibition. Incredibly, all it had to say about Jesus was this. He spent most of his life in obscurity and died tragically young. Isn't that incredible? Mm. The most influential man in history. And that's all that they could write. It's utterly unhistorical, not to mention dismissive. And yet that is how most people think of Jesus today. What about you? How do you respond to the empty tomb? Mind already made up. The resurrection couldn't have happened. Don't talk to me about it. Or religious commemoration. A great man, but a dead man. Well, Matthew gives us one further perspective on Easter Day here. And it comes from the women. Chapter 27, verse 56. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. They appear in chapter 27. They appear again in chapter 28. 
these two Marys, we'll, we'll zoom in on the two Marys. Um, we know from the other gospel writers that there were more women involved. Two Marys are expectant, and I don't mean in uh, the family way. They have an expectant belief. We know from the other gospel writers, uh, as I said, that they were part of a larger group of women who went to the tomb on Easter Sunday morning with the intention of embalming Jesus' body with spices. Matthew doesn't show us that. Instead, he shows us just these two women, these two Marys who keep hanging around dead Jesus. There they are at the end of chapter 27 at the cross, watching the crucifixion. There again, right at the end, chapter 27, verse 61, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb when Joseph was walking away. And then chapter 28, verse 1, again on that Sunday, after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. From the start, these two, they, they seem to just hang around dead Jesus. Why would they do that? Because they are expectant. Could it be, we don't know for sure, but could it be that they, of all the disciples, remember Jesus' predictions? Were they hanging around because they believed, or at the very least, hoped beyond hope, that his words were going to hold true? He said he died, and he has but he said he would rise again. Maybe that will happen too. So is that why they kept hanging around the tomb? They were the only ones who came back to have a look, expectant, waiting for something to happen, hoping, praying maybe. Either way, they are examples to us of what a faithful follower of Jesus looks like. Not minds closed to the resurrection, not simply commemorating a dead man, but expectant, those who hoped and looked for a risen Jesus. And you know what? They found him. Verse 9. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. We don't once question their response, do we? They saw Jesus die. They saw him buried. And now here he is in front of them alive. And they don't hesitate. They worship him immediately. And you see, to worship or not worship Jesus is the choice laid out for everyone. Because if he did rise from the dead that first Easter, then think about this. He is alive now, today, Sunday, the 29th of November, 2020. And a living Jesus you cannot simply ignore. You can't just sideline him as only being relevant to your religious friends. If he died and rose again, then he did what he promised to do which means his claim to be the son of God who came to die for our sin must be true. And that means he's not just worthy of our attention, he is worthy of our worship. Because the thing about the resurrection is not just that it's true, but also that it is 
brilliant. It's fantastic, isn't it? This is what beats me about folk who simply reject it out of hand without so much as considering the evidence. Because this, the resurrection, is the answer to our deepest, darkest need. Life beyond death. Tell me more about that. Isn't this the one thing that COVID-19 has forced us to consider these last few months? Our own mortality. Like many we've seen on the news recently, I too will one day be lying in a hospital bed, probably, with who knows how much longer left, a finite number of breaths left in me, and that is true for everyone. Death is coming. Mm. It's unavoidable. And yet we see here one who has come back from death, one who claims to have made a way through death for us. Forget a 95% proof vaccine for COVID. Here is a 100% proof vaccine for death. And that is brilliant. That is something at least for people to look into, isn't it? Well, maybe hearing these things this morning has made you expectant. Maybe you're beginning to wonder and to hope. Maybe Jesus did do what he said he would do. Maybe the tomb was empty. Maybe the disciples proclaimed his resurrection because they had seen him alive. Maybe Jesus is alive today. Maybe he's beaten death. Maybe he can beat death for me. Are you expectant? Are you beginning to have expectant hope? Maybe for the first time, if that's true, and I'm sure Rob... Uh, I myself would love to talk to you more about that, and we can do so after the service. Well, let's end with a prayer, shall we? Lord Jesus, thank you that you are alive today, and that one day we will see you again. Help us to believe in and live for and worship you as our living Lord.